With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everybody, to F1 Nation with me, Tom Clarkson, and Natalie Pinkham. This is our preview show to the Monaco Grand Prix, and we're going to hear from Haas team principal Gunter Steiner and McLaren CEO Zach Brown later in the show. But first, this should have been our review of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. The race was, of course, cancelled due to the terrible humanitarian crisis that has unfolded there in the last week, following six months of rain in just 36 hours. Very sadly, there have been fatalities and thousands of people have been left homeless. And in the circumstances, it was impossible to even think about going motor racing. Formula One and Ferrari have made substantial donations to the Emilia-Romagna region's Agency for Territorial Safety and Civil Protection. And all of the food that was going to be used in the hospitality areas at last weekend's Grand Prix has been shared with the people most in need. Now, if you'd like to donate to the Emilia-Romagna region flooding relief fund, please go to f1.com forward slash donate and follow the instructions. That's formula1.com forward slash donate donate. Well, Tom, it was almost surreal, wasn't it? Right up until the last moment, we thought the race would go ahead. I was all packed, ready to go to the airport, turned, told to turn around and come home. And many of our colleagues were already on the ground. When they started to send images home of what they could see firsthand, you realised this was never going to happen. The race couldn't possibly go ahead. Even if the conditions had improved enough at the racetrack to go racing last weekend, the last thing that region needed was 150,000 people descending on Imola and the surrounding area because the emergency services were flat out dealing with the crisis. So it was exactly the right decision. I thought Formula One made it as early as they could. We woke up on Wednesday morning. It was still raining. As I said earlier, there was six months of rain in just 36 hours and they made the decision very quickly and just as sad as it is not to be racing, obviously, we have to look at the bigger picture. And that is what Formula One did very well last week. And I don't think it's going to be rescheduled very sadly, because as much as I love that race and Imola has so much history, I can't see where they could put it into the calendar. I did read somewhere that there was talk of the first weekend of the summer break, but I think that went down uh, badly with everyone in Formula One. So I think that is it for this Grand Prix this year, which is very sad. Also heartwarming, Tom, I must say, to see Yuki and uh, other Alpha Tauri team members helping with that cleanup in Faenza. Um, so just a quick reminder to all our lovely listeners, if you do want to donate to the Relief Fund, you can go to f1.com forward slash donate and follow the instructions. And now, Tom Clarkson, it's on to Monaco. Yes, Pinks, the blue ribbon. 
the most glamorous race in Formula One. Who doesn't love Monaco? I've been going there every year since 1996. I walk around there with the awe of a child. I just look around. I think the place is unique. I think the racetrack is unique. The paddock is unique. The sort of juxtaposition of the, the racetrack relative to the mountains behind, the sea in front. It is the most extraordinary race. And I, I can't wait to get on the plane and get going. I totally agree. I know there are many sort of sceptics who don't agree with you that Monaco is magical because of the fact that it can be a procession. But for me, it means all the emphasis goes to a Saturday. And Quali Day in Monaco is one of the highlights of my year. I mean, the tension is palpable. As you say, everyone wants to win it because this is such a historic event. It's steeped in history and glamour and prestige. And uh, when they talked about it being in doubt, the future of, of the uh, the race... My heart sank, but I didn't really believe it. Did you? I didn't. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Bang! A new three-year deal till up until exactly. twenty twenty-five was was in the bag, wasn't it? Have you got a favourite moment? Have you got a favourite memory? Oh, I mean, loads. Where do I want to start? Actually, that first race I went to back in 1996, Olivier Panis wins it from 14th on the grid. There was rain. There was, uh, I remember David Coulthard wearing Michael Schumacher's helmet because his own visor was fucking up and he couldn't work out how to sort that out. Fucking up? What's fucking up? <laughs> couldn't <laughs> see out. Fucking up. <laughs> I always think you go faster if you can't see out. Oh, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Pinkle, though? Uh, look, I'm obviously not as old as you, so I don't remember that far back, but... I have to say, and you know, some will say I'm biased, but I have to say when Daniel somehow held on. I was going to say 2018 Daniel. Oh I knew you were gonna say, my yeah. goodness. When he held on and he was like 25% down on power. He's never won from pole before. He's never won from the top three before. He had pole here in Monaco. Once upon a time, he had the win taken away from him through no fault of his own. Today in Monte Carlo, it's redemption day for Daniel Ricciardo. He wins the Monaco Grand Prix and he will celebrate that for a long, long time to come. Absolutely amazing. I don't know how you did that, Daniel. Incredible. Holy tomorrow. See boys. Redemption. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, they say it's impossible to pass at Monaco. And he somehow made his car three times as wide to prevent Vettel making that all-important overtake for the win. But it was, it was redemption. We've used the word many times. It was just that moment of, of sheer relief and joy and to see his parents crying and then see do that belly flop into the pool. I still say to this day that must have hurt. Yeah. He didn't feel it. <laughs> he didn't feel it. Well, just so much adrenaline. Yeah. yeah. I mean, pure adrenaline, pure adrenaline to sort of hustle that car around those streets. And I just, I just love it. I love seeing people sort of hanging over balconies and whooping and cheering. There's just something very special about Monaco. But, you know, who knows when we go there this weekend, just 14 points separating Max Verstappen from his teammate Sergio Perez. Max produced a masterclass in Miami, but Perez is king of the streets, as he proved in Monaco last year after a thrilling strategy showdown with Ferrari. Sergio Perez, the first of that lead group to make a pit stop. Ferrari going to have to react to this with Charles Leclerc. He's going to have to stop next time by and get in the pits and get a new set of boots on because if he doesn't, Perez is going to massively undercut the Monegasque driver. Box now, box, box now, box for hard. Stay out, stay out, stay out. Red Bull are ready for one of the drivers, Perez box. 
and Verstappen. They're doing a double stop as well, just like Ferrari. Carlos Sainz just going through Sandovot, but Perez has come out comfortably in front of him. This is great news for Sergio Perez. Yeah, it's going to be hot tyres versus cold tyres, but Ferrari have blown this strategy. Victory in Monaco goes to Sergio Perez for Red Bull. Come on, Oh, those memories. Who do you think is on the front foot? I actually, Pinks, don't think either of the Red Bulls is going to win this weekend, but we'll come on okay. to that. But in terms of this intra-team battle, I really couldn't call it because we've said many times that Perez is a street specialist and he's driven some brilliant races this year on street tracks. And, you know, Max has been good, but he's crashed a bit in Monaco over the years as well. Who's mm. got the momentum? Well, you have to say, you know, to answer your question after what happened in Miami, the momentum is with Max, isn't it? But it is only 14 points. In terms of who's going to be the best Red Bull driver, I wouldn't want to call it. I'm really interested in this idea that self-fulfilling prophecies exist in sport. So someone tells Checo he's a street specialist and it, he almost sort of grows in stature when he arrives at a venue with a street circuit. Monaco is, without a doubt, a confident circuit. You build a rhythm over the weekend and through the first and second and third practice session. And you hope by quality you're in this perfect groove where you almost could drive blindfolded because you can just feel your way around the track. And as you say, that definitely got into Max's head early in his career. I mean, if you remember, which year was it? And he, he had his, he had the crash and then he had an identical crash a year later, also in practice. It was 2018. It was the Daniel year, wasn't so it? So it was 2017 and 2018 where he had identical crashes. Do you remember? Mm. And it, it's so interesting at a circuit like Monaco because you, and when you talk to the, the drivers, they say the same it becomes a, a bogey track for certain drivers and you don't want that. You don't want that to get into your head and, and in any way undermine how you drive through the weekend. I think Max has obviously shaken that off and he's won two world championships since then. But it's just fascinating psychology because so much of it is a mental game around the streets of the Principality. Funnily enough, so the race before Monaco last year was Spain, where Charles had, had his engine failure and everyone was, well, that's tough luck, but Ferrari are still the team to beat. We genuinely felt that going into Monaco last year. And I felt that was the moment that, oh, come on, pit, stay out, pit, stay out. That was the moment when it started to unravel for Ferrari, wasn't it? Let's just remind ourselves and the listeners of Charles Leclerc's record in Monaco. The place he was born, the place he loves, the place he longs to be victorious in. 2017, retired from both the feature and the sprint races in F2. 2018, retired from the F1 race in the Alfa Romeo. 2019, retired from the first Monaco Grand Prix with Ferrari. 2020, of course, there was no race because of the pandemic. 2021, he qualified on pole but crashed in Q3. Ferrari found a drive shaft issue when firing up the car on Sunday, so he had to withdraw from the race after doing the track parade and lapping up the fact that he was on pole. And 2022, well, 2022, last year, was the first time he's even seen the chequered flag in Monaco. He finished P4, but of course, as you heard then, there was that strategy mishap, shall we say, and TC, I still get the chills when I hear that radio message from the pit wall to Charles Leclerc. My heart was broken for him. How wonderful if he could eventually stand on the top step of that podium, even this weekend. 
Pinks, let's break it down. Let's look at the the three cars that I think are going to be battling for victory this weekend. There's obviously the Red Bulls, devastatingly effective all season long, very quick in a straight line, good through quick corners. But when you look at the GPS and you look at the the speed of the cars through slow corners, the Ferrari is faster than the Red Bull through slow corners, has been so far this year, and the Aston Martin is equal to it. So when you look at Charles Leclerc's record on street tracks, two pole positions in Baku, with a car that is brilliant through slow corners, I think Charles is my money for pole position this time around. And surely Lightning is not going to strike twice and and Ferrari are going to get the job done on the Sunday. So I don't think there's a faster driver on street tracks over one lap than Charles Leclerc. So if everything I've just said plays out and that the Ferrari is quicker than the, the Red Bull and the Aston Martin through slow corners and there are no fast corners at Monaco, he's my money for pole. And Ferrari were going to bring some updates to the Imola Grand Prix last weekend. They have now decided to delay them and they're going to bring a bigger update to the Spanish Grand Prix next weekend. So they're, they're using a car that he's familiar with. It's, it's going to be the same spec that he raced in Miami with. And go Charles. That's my thoughts anyway. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, it would go down so well, wouldn't it? Can you just imagine the place erupting with that? I'm quite interested, though, to talk a bit more about Aston Martin. So Fernando Alonso teased us earlier this season and said, just you wait till Monaco. It feels as if they feel they'll be in a groove by next weekend. I'm really intrigued, though, how much of an impact removing Imola will have on the team. So if you look at someone like Mercedes, so much hype around them bringing updates to Imola. They're going to feel very different about those updates around the streets of Monaco, particularly as it's a very unforgiving track and you can lose parts, expensive parts. You can't really get a read on those upgrades until probably Barcelona. So, I mean, will Mercedes be in the fight? We just don't know. They were significant upgrades coming to Imola, side pods, floor and front suspension. How much progress will they make in Monaco or will they indeed have to wait till Spain to see their full effect? I'm really interested that Mercedes are bringing these upgrades to Monaco because the the obvious thing to do is to do what Ferrari are doing and just delay everything a week because there are so many risks associated with Monaco. We've 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 sort of discussed it. Look at the mistakes drivers have made over the years. You just glance a barrier ever so slightly and that can put you out of the race or it can damage an upgrade. So the fact that Mercedes are bringing these upgrades I think can mean one of two things. Is it because they have seen you know, on the simulator that it is so much faster that we just have to bring them because it's worth half a second a lap? Or is it a sign of desperation? We're not sure. And the sooner we find out with some on-track running, the better. It could be either of those things. Or indeed both. It could be a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is that they've got two very reliable drivers. So if there's two drivers that you would expect not to put it in the wall at Monaco, it is Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. But there are huge risks associated with them bringing them. And I'm intrigued to see how it goes. We're not going to see uh, the pace of the car through faster corners because there are none at Monaco. It will allow them to make sure that they've got basic things like the cooling correct, of course. But there is this big factor of the weather as well. Qualifying looks as if it's going to be wet. So then... In terms of, you know, you talked earlier about it being a confidence track, of which it is. But when it's wet, it's a whole different ball game, And that's when experience comes to the fore. Which drivers would you bet your house on in wet conditions around Monaco not to make a mistake? Fernando Alonso. For me, Fernando Alonso is that man. 
if he's got a car that is as competitive as a Red Bull and a Ferrari, throw in those conditions, throw in the fact that he's been there for 20 years, he's won twice before in 2006, 2007. It is all slightly pointing in the direction of Fernando Alonso and number 33, uh, win number 33 for him. And it's not only Fernando who's been talking in the press about Monaco. Mike Crack, the team principal, has been pinpointing this race as well, as did Dan Fallows when he came on Beyond the Grid uh, a few weeks back. So watch out for Aston Martin. Watch out for Fernando Alonso and watch out for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. That's my feeling going in. And any other teams that could be dark horses? I mean, if you think about Alpine, they are potentially building on a strong result in Miami. They've had a very difficult season until they got to the US. Valtteri Bottas has also said that the Alfa Romeo could do well in Monte Carlo. The Alfa is quick through the slow corners. It's it's too draggy in a straight line, but that's not an issue at Monaco. So if they can find get some temperature in the tyres, they will be quick. But again, it's not only actually, Pinks, this is a really important point. Not only is it going to be wet or it looks like it's going to be wet, But the new intermediate and wet tyres that Pirelli were going to bring to Imola for the first time are going to be brought to Monaco, of course. They don't need tyre warmers. It's all part of the 2024 tyre package. So I think we could could be going out in qualifying in Monaco on tyres that have had no warming prior to hitting the racetrack on the most difficult circuit of them all. So you may find that car performance goes out the window this weekend and it's all about drivers getting the job done, you know, and back to Fernando Alonso for me. And feeling their way around. I think so much of it is done on touch and feel and nous, which, as you say, you can always rely on Fernando Alonso for. As for Alpine, Pinks, this is the first time they've been racing as a team since Laurent Rossi, the CEO, came out in the media criticising the team, every aspect of the team calling them dilettantes, calling them amateurish. And so they will be wanting to set the record straight. The car, funnily enough, is a good car. It is good through the slow corners. It's a bit draggy, but of course, Monaco doesn't require efficiency in a straight line. So Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, it's as close to a home race that those two guys get, as close to a home race that the team gets in terms of Alpine and all the guys at Viry Chatillon in Paris. So it's a huge weekend for them and Otmar Safnauer will be wanting them to silence the criticisms. And don't forget, we touched on all of this when we were looking ahead to Imola and of course Imola didn't happen, but this is Formula One coming home in many ways. This is the first European race of the season. There's just a shift in mindset for everyone. And then you feel as if, I mean, obviously we go off to Canada, but you feel as if we've got this run of races through Europe where people sort of get in their groove. And I'm not just talking about the drivers, I'm talking about the teams, I'm talking about the fact that we've got the hospitality units back. Uh, There's just a different approach. People have shorter flights, they get to sleep in their own beds for longer, um, they get to see their families more. There's just, I don't know, there's just a different vibe about all of these races and it it brings out a different performance as a result. Yeah, it's, it's the heart of the season. I always feel that Europe is still the heartland of Formula One. And We're now getting into the depths of the season, aren't we? Uh, We've had a a long break in April between uh, the Australian Grand Prix and then the the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We've just had a slightly longer break since Miami as well. 
the treadmill starts. You know, there's a regular run of races. The teams now can get hopefully a bit of momentum. I really believe in momentum in sport in general, but particularly in Formula One. From a driver's point of view, it's all about confidence. If you're riding that crest of a wave, it can do wonders for you, particularly around somewhere like Monaco, but also for a team. You know, when you find the sweet spot and there's been a lot written in the media recently about how difficult it is to find the sweet spot of these cars because they run so stiff and finding the right ride height in particular is so hard. And I think if you are a team that finds the sweet spot, then jobs are good and, and you can reproduce that from track after track, particularly when we get to the permanent racetracks you know, which are a little bit more consistent, you could say, than a street track, which is always rubbering in or not if there's lots of rain. So, yeah, we're into the heart of the Formula One season. And this is the first time this year that we're going into a race genuinely not sure who is going to win. Beforehand, it's always been a Red Bull should win this race unless something untoward happens. It'll either be Checo or Max. Whereas we're going in now thinking, hang on, this could be Red Bull, of course. They're too good for it not to be a consideration. But Aston Martin are a genuine threat. Ferrari are a genuine threat. Alpine, with their slow corner speed, will be very effective as well. Will Alfa Romeo do something? Will Haas? Will McLaren? There's so much to consider. That's what makes Monaco in particular so special. Okay, TC, let's talk Haas now because Monaco will be a big milestone for the team. Sunday will be the 150th Grand Prix that they've competed in since their inception in 2016. And we've been chatting to their team principal, one and only superstar, that is Gunther Steiner. Gunther, thank you for your time. First up, there's a large section of, of the Haas team is based in Italy. Can we just start by saying, how are things over there? Have any of the employees been affected by this terrible flooding? First of all, thanks to, thanks for thinking of us. Yeah, some have been affected, but nobody really badly. You know, more of, uh, obviously, uh, everybody has got some relatives and they're all helping out, but not badly. So they are all fighting, as we all know, you know, flooded cellars and things like this, but nobody's without a home in the moment. Nobody lost his home or anything. So uh, they are just working through to it. I mean, you know, this region is pretty... What, what, what I experienced, they were not crying. They were just getting stuck into it, you know, get it sorted and move on. You know, it was pretty cool from them. You know, nobody uh, started to complain or how bad things are. They just uh, went on with it. And I think a lot of them helped their uh, relatives, you know, to uh, if they were in trouble. But, uh, I mean, obviously it was better before than now, but uh, they're all getting through. Well, that is certainly good to hear. And as is often the case in times of crisis, I, I love it when Formula One pulls together and, and tries to make a, a positive difference. So that is good to hear. Um, now, Gunther, throwing it forward to, to Monaco this weekend, can you quite believe it? This will be the team's 150th Grand Prix. I mean, it probably feels more like 250, given what you've been through over the last seven years. Uh, but, I mean, can you quite get your head around the fact that you've been there since its inception and uh, some massive highs, a few big lows as well. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a big milestone. No, I cannot get my head around it. When I was told, because I, I, I'm not a statistics guy, as you may know. You know, I live from uh, day to day, from race to race. You know, it's just like, and when I said, we have 150 Grand Prix, if you think. You know, there is there's people out there which have done a lot more than we have done, but 150 Grand Prix is not little. And if you think that is the youngest team, 
I mean, I, I think that says something, you know. It, it's very strange, but I must admit, time has been flying. And uh, uh, as you just said, there was uh, highs, also some lows. But uh, I think it's life, you know. It's just uh, uh, thing that how, how things in life go. But uh, I think it was in the end a good ride. Oh, it is a good ride. It isn't over yet, you know. We keep on going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you and Jean started the team, how confident were you of reaching 150? You don't even think about Tom. Uh, uh, this is one of the things when you do something like this. If you start a business, you have a five-year plan. But if you start anything in motorsport, I mean, you can you have to have a five-year plan. But how realistic is it? Uh, I have not seen anything panning out like you planned. I mean, look at Formula One now. Would we have thought that five years ago that Formula One would be uh, on a hype like it is in the moment? I mean, I honestly say no. The obvious things are, I saw this coming. No, I didn't see this coming. And we started this one. It was like, okay, let's try to do something. And uh, obviously, I'm not one to talk for Gene, but I think it was the same. Oh, uh, let, let's try Formula One. I've got a NASCAR team. I love racing cars. Let's do this. But I don't think anybody or very few people could have predicted what happened to Formula One in the last three to five years. And why do you think that is, Gunther? Because it, it certainly feels, I mean, they talk about Drive to Survive, of which you've been a prominent character, but it feels it feels deeper than that. It feels like Formula One's really captured the imagination of a younger generation in a way that potentially other sports haven't. Uh, we were talking as a family the other day about how rugby is really struggling um, and someone put forward the fact that it's a very technical game. Well, so is Formula One. So why do you think Formula One has been able to, to sort of carve its own sort of place in people's hearts and minds in a way that other sports perhaps haven't been able to? Uh, what I think, as you said, Drive to Survive was not the only thing. It, it helped. There was a lot of things coming together, in my opinion, at the, at, the, at, the, at the stage where just people get interested in it. I think the biggest change was getting somebody from outside, having a look at it when Liberty Media came in, have a look at it, having a, a, a fresh view on it, that made a lot of things happen. A lot of small things, which then uh, propelled it to uh, the popularity uh, uh, we achieved. I think you're being modest, Gunter. I know what it's all down to, and I'm showing you now. I'm holding up the book <laughs> that you very kindly gave me in Miami, Surviving to Drive. I mean, are you still number one in the Sunday Times bestseller list? No, no, we couldn't keep that one up. I think we were number one, number four, and number seven. I didn't even ask. They didn't tell me what we were uh, last weekend, but... Uh, 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 anyway, I'm still waiting for the check, Tom, you know, but hey, uh, maybe it's in the post. <laughs> I, well, I tell you what, Gunther, you'd take those positions uh, for three consecutive race weekends, wouldn't you? Number one, number four, <laughs> and number seven. That would be a decent haul of points, perhaps. Yeah, and you could have as many books as you want, Natalie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, well, look, on the back of Miami, let, let's bring it on to Monaco. What, what is possible this weekend around the streets of the Principality? I think Monaco, as, as we all know, it's the race is done on, or not the race is done, but a lot is done on Saturday. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can have a, a good Friday that we have got good practice that we can put the, the car in the right place. And then uh, on, on Saturday when qualifying uh, is going, just uh, keeping out of trouble and keeping out of traffic, you know, that the drivers can get a good lap in to make sure uh, that we do the utmost. It's not only because I've, I always think going around in Monaco at that speed they're going toward Dunwood and all that stuff, you need to, your your mind cannot think about another car on the racetrack. I think that is one of the biggest elements they have to get a, a good lap in. And if we can if we can do that also in the free practice sessions that we are having good runs, that they they, they get all the uh, the Marcos, you know, 
uh, I think we can have a good weekend. But uh, then the race is always difficult in the, in the moment. It looks like it's raining, but it's changing up and down. I mean, I, I watch it since a week, and uh, one day it says all three, all three days is sunshine, and then it says all three days is rain, and in the moment it says Friday and Sunday rain. So uh, let's see what is the, uh, what we can do, but uh, very important qualifying on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely vital. I mean, it's fair to say, though, that it hasn't been a particularly happy hunting ground for Haas over the last few years, just six points in six years. Why do you think that you've struggled in the past in Monaco? I think once, I don't know which year, we were in a very good position and then the strategy uh, went wrong with the, with the safety graph coming out and we got blocked there. Uh, somebody played a better strategy or we couldn't do, we couldn't defend because uh, uh, you're locked up. But otherwise, we had a, a few crashes and... Uh, I don't really know why. I mean, uh, but uh, it was never really bad. It's just like uh, 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 sometimes you were unlucky, but that's Monte Carlo. You know, you need to be at the right place at the right time. It's a driver's track. So let's talk about your drivers. I mean, Kevin drove brilliantly in Miami, battling with Charles Leclerc. Um, Is he fully comfortable in the car now? I would say so. In the beginning of the year, he was a little bit struggling with his balance of the car. He couldn't get a feel for it. But uh, I spoke with him, I think it was end of last week, and he said he was very in a very good place in Miami with the car. He's very happy. So I think he knows now where to start the weekend uh, setup-wise and move on from there. He's in a good position also confidence-wise after Miami especially. I mean, can you imagine how many people told him how great that was, you know? And that always, uh, uh, you know, it's always good for the ego as somebody tells you how, how great of a job you did as a driver that normally carries uh, uh, a few races. So... Hopefully, he can get comfortable quick uh, with the car in Monte Carlo. So, because as, uh, as we said before, it's a lot. It's about confidence uh, on them streets. And what about Nico? For Nico, coming back after three years as a part-time driver, he came uh, back pretty strong. I expected him to be strong, but I expected that form to come a little bit later. So, I was quite surprised myself. And in the beginning, he was this strong. So, I don't know, have we reached the peak? Or is, is there more coming? I mean, I would be happy if there is more coming, obviously. But uh, uh, I think he's doing a good job and what he brings, he's bringing a good vibe to the team in the moment. You know, it's just like everybody likes to work with him. He's demanding, but always in a good way. You know, never demand something uh, just for the sake of. He always has a, uh, can explain why he wants something. Gunter, is this the best driver pairing you've had in your eight years at Haas? I think uh, you can't say the best. I mean, I'm very happy. I mean, at the time, uh, I mean, we, know, we all know Roman. Roman on a good day, it's fantastic driver. Roman on a bad day, can be a nightmare, you know. So I think uh, uh, Nico is more consistent and uh, talent-wise, uh, Nico and Roman, they came up together and uh, they one year won one, the other year the other one in the minor series. So uh, I think there is... Uh, but I think we have got a very good pairing and a very consistent pairing as well in the moment. Now, I've got a question for you about longevity within Formula One and just, it's like a drug. You can't get enough of Formula One and you think, oh, I'll just do one more season before, you know, 20 have gone by. So what do you think is the outlook? How long can we have you gracing our sport? It's a good question. I mean, uh, as I said before, I don't have long-term plans. I don't want to achieve something. I mean, obviously, I want to achieve success with Haas, but I, I'm not looking forward. I mean, in the moment, I'm comfortable. I mean, uh, uh, I think Gene is comfortable with me. I hope anyway. You know, He didn't tell me any different. So uh, on that side, I should be okay. But uh, as you said, it's very demanding. Uh, uh, for your body and for your mind and there is a point where everybody has to take a step back you know and that will come for me as well but in the moment I'm in a good place I I, I love what I do 
so I keep on doing it and there will be the moment come and say, I need to take a step back because it's getting too much, maybe uh, physically, mentally, whatever. But in the moment, I'm in a good place. So I have no big plans to say now oh, I'm stopping in three years. It could come, you know, one day I will say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that is when Gunther will stop. What tricks have you got to keep yourself fresh? I don't need tricks. I think the motivation to go racing and uh, uh, do a race for me, that, 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 that what carries me, as Natalie said, it's like a drug, you know. But when you're there on a Saturday, Monte Carlo qualifying, for me, it's 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 tense. But that is what I want. You know, this is what I want. I, I love it. I don't hate it. A lot of people say when they have to go on pit wall, they're getting nervous. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm not getting nervous. I'm getting tense and I want more and I'm getting really wound up, like going into a fight, you know. You need to do your best and in the moment, you're having a good time because uh, qualifying in Miami for me was fantastic, you know. This is what I want to do, you know. So I, I don't need any tricks. I mean, the, I, I travel a little bit more than you guys, but it's coming my way now with more Grand Prix uh, uh, in the Americas, you know. So I, I, I was ahead of the curve there, you know. I could now say I saw that coming. Honestly, I didn't. But anyway, it came and I got you lucky. You weren't ahead of the curve. You are the curve. <laughs> okay. You're the trailblazer. <laughs> Thanks for that, Natalie. But uh, no, uh, it's a traveling. I mean, uh, that is pretty tiring. But uh, I always try to sleep properly, you know, and uh, j- just rest my body as much as I can. And is it the fear of failure or the lure of success for you these days? Lure of success. I'm not uh, worried about failure because always failure teaches you a lot as well. And then that you can apply to have success, you know. It's pretty simple. I mean, if, you, if you're afraid to fail, you should stop. That's my opinion. Yes, that, that, that is not positive. That's a negative thing. And how do your family cope? Uh, I often come back. I often come back, like from a race, and my husband will go, "Hang on, so when do you go to Monaco? Yeah, just can you hurry up, please? <laughs> Get out of the house." I, I had that. I had that this morning when I took my daughter to school. She said, "Oh, you're away again two weeks." You know, it's difficult. But on the other side, I, I think we are all the same. This is what we are doing, and I, uh, I, I know my wife. Uh, when I, I always did this, you yeah, know, I always, always was on the road. I wouldn't say she's comfortable, but it's part of it. And to have me happy, uh, you know, that is part. And uh, I, I always try to take them with me at least four, five, six races a year. So at least because they know I, I just work hard, you know, so at least they can be with me and I enjoy that. So that is how I try to cope with it. Obviously, the triple headers, they are the most difficult one. Because if you think three, three weeks away from home, it's quite a long time. In the Americas now, when we have the triple headers, I can go home in between because, I mean, it's only a, a, a two-hour flight for me, so I'm pretty lucky. But in Europe, and in summer, I take the family to Europe uh, uh, and we stay there for two months. So, you, you know, I try to, to make the best out of it, but it isn't easy. All right, but they're not coming to Monaco? No, they are coming to Monaco. Next one is Canada. My daughter still has to go to school and she skipped already a few days this year and she's uh, uh, in her last year in middle school, so... I don't want to take any risk, you know, because I will be blamed for it. Very conscientious, Gunter. Very conscientious. Well, I guess final one from us is what does success look like for you in Monaco this weekend? Points. Points, because this year it's very difficult to get to points, as we also in Miami. I think we were pretty good out there, but uh, to, to get to a point, it's, 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 it's hard work because you've got four teams which are clearly better than the rest, and the rest is so tied together, so you have to fight the rest for one point you know so uh that, that, that's what uh what it would look like well we hope you achieve it it's great to see you as ever and we will see you in monaco please bring some sunshine i hope so yeah we need it 
I mean, you probably want a bit of rain, don't you? Mix things up. But I mean, I just, I just want it to be a dry weekend. Yeah, but but, but you know, it can go for you, can go against you. Rain is always there. Is no nobody has to guarantee that it works for for them. And if you have got, you know, Monaco, if you crash normally, it isn't an easy crash. So uh, hopefully, we have got sunshine. Let's hope. Gunter, great to speak. See you later, guys. TC, he's so right. You know, you can say you want a bit of rain to mix things up, but mixing it up in Monaco is risky business. And as he said, you put it in the wall, it's a costly mistake. And it, it well, you can start from the back of the grid and therefore out of the race altogether. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. For everyone's sake, I want a clean weekend and I want them to do it on merit rather than any kind of fortune or misfortune. It's a good way of looking at it. You know, I thought, as you said, I thought he might be wanting rain, but yeah, it can work for and against you. And I guess they've got a bit of confidence in the car now. You know, K-Mag qualified fourth in Miami. It's got pace. Um, They've got two experienced drivers this year. And also, um, you know, let's not forget that huge crash that Mick Schumacher had in the race last year, which must have cost them an awful lot of money um, to, to mend and with the budget cap and everything. So... Yeah, why not? Why not have points? And not least the cost on his confidence as well. I mean, it's a big blow to crash in Monaco, isn't it? And you feel like you've let everyone down. It's your big opportunity to shine. It's sort of taken from you in that moment. But I I just love everything about Gunter. I love everything about Haas. I mean, I'm reading his book at the minute, uh, Natalie, and it's, you know, surviving to drive. And it really is um, a very interesting snapshot into the, the life and times of a team principal in Formula One, particularly one at, at, at the back of the grid. I've learned so much from it. Uh, also, he does, it really, he does swear an awful lot. But apart from that, uh, it is just fascinating that the, the pressures that are on him, people always complaining. He said, people, if he's not getting people complaints at his door he says i'm doing something wrong because it means we're not pushing the envelope and all that kind of thing yeah the trouble is with complaints is you do feel it's a distraction from progress at the same time so you feel you don't get bogged down with that sideshow of complaints you think no just keep looking forward pushing forward but he does just that so yeah i wish them well in monaco and beyond Now, 2023, it's safe to say, is not going as well as McLaren would have hoped. They scored no points in the opening two races, did pick up some in Australia, but you have to say that was down to the chaos that ensued right at the end of the race, and then suffered another pointless weekend in Miami. Their CEO, Zach Brown, has been reflecting on this year so far with TC. Zach, thank you very much for your time. Now, I know we're here to preview the Monaco Grand Prix, but can we start with what went on at Indianapolis over the weekend? All four of your cars have qualified inside, I think, the top nine for the 500. What a result. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. I, I'll, I'm happy to spend as much time about India as possible because I think we have a chance to win. And unfortunately, uh, I'm hoping for a good result in Monaco, but uh, winning is probably uh, unrealistic. Um, now nah, but uh, yeah, no, it was great. The uh, drivers did an awesome job. They've been uh, quick uh, the whole month of May, uh, as the uh, saying goes. And I think we have four drivers that can win the race uh, this upcoming weekend. Unfortunately, I think there's about another 10. So we've got some good odds, but we got some good competition. Now, for those people who have never been to Indy and never been to Monaco, can you just give us a, a compare and contrast? How are they different? How is the atmosphere different? 
One's very fast and one's very slow. Um, beyond that, uh, I mean, there are two of, along with, the, of course, Lamar, which this being our 60-year anniversary, we're celebrating uh, being the only team to have won the Triple Crown, which, of course, is Monte Carlo, uh, Indy 500, and 24 Hours of Le Mans. And I think, uh, you know, actually all three are massive in scale, uh, globally famous. So whether you follow IndyCar racing or not, if you say the Indy 500, I've not met many people that go, what is that? So, you know, these are the biggest sporting events in the world. Uh, you'll have 300,000 plus people at Indianapolis, 33 cars going 230 miles an hour. You, you've never seen anything like it. And then, you know, Monaco, there is no more historic uh, motor race in the world. It's certainly on the Formula One calendar. It's a uh, bucket list event. Qualifying sessions, pretty awesome. And uh, the atmosphere is is magic. So two totally different events, uh, both equally as exciting, but for uh, for different reasons. Miami was a was a difficult weekend for McLaren, wasn't it? How hopeful are you for Monaco? Miami sucked. Clearly uh, disappointing. You know, we're getting to know more about our car, and and we understand um, why we were where we needed to be in Miami. So the first step is kind of if you have an issue, is understanding it versus scratching your head being confused. Uh, I think we'll go all right in, in Monaco. Um, you, you know, we obviously uh, came to the table with a uh, uh, underdeveloped car at the start of the year. We knew that. We called our shot. Um, and it turned out we we, we knew uh, we, we weren't going to be where we want to be. But uh, the exciting part is we think we're going to get you know, a lot, a lot better now for, for Monaco, uh, not a lot of development. So I think it's going to be more second half of the year, but we've, we run well at, at Monaco and we think, um, it's a track that shoots our car more than Miami. So I, I think we should be okay, but it's, it's very tight, the field. So you, you only need to be off by a 10th or two, uh, to, to be right towards the front or right towards the back. How do you explain the fluctuations in form that we've seen from you guys this year? You know, uh, Melbourne was good. Okay, there are extenuating circumstances at the end there. But but Baku was a genuinely good performance from you guys. We then go to Miami and and it sucked. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> well, quoting, quoting Zach Brown, but then we go, you know, why do you think we're seeing so much fluctuation? I think uh, race cars are... Uh, can be uh, temperamental in their characteristics. Obviously, you know, the great race cars are, are good in all conditions. We have a car that uh, doesn't like a lot of heat. It's kind of rear limited. Miami was, was hot. It was a, was a new circuit, kind of lacked some grip as a new circuit would. So uh, Miami was, was a, a, a circuit kind of like Bahrain that just doesn't suit our, our car. Obviously, when we get a better car, you want to smooth out where your your highs and lows are and kind of have a better better average so um yeah i think monaco will will be better uh we feel good about montreal we'll start having some more significant developments coming around austria and the british grand prix and and uh hopefully are on track for a strong second half of the year and if you do get that strong second half of the year what is achievable for you guys in 2023 well you know we 
would have liked to have been top four in the championship. I think if you look at the top four, I think by the time we uh, catch up to their speed, they will have pulled out a, a gap in the points to probably be too big to overcome. So I think reality is we're in a fight for a fifth uh, with, with, with Alpine. And, and I would say the others are, you know, very far b behind, um, you know, our goal is to be mixing it up inside the top four by the end of the year. But I think given the head start and slow start we've had, I think to actually get to fourth in the points will probably be a tall order. So I think we're fighting for fifth with a few. Um, and then our goal is to be, you know, in racing inside the top four by the end of the year and then uh, putting a better car uh, out at the start of the year next year. So what about drivers then? Uh, Oscar Piastri, um, are you pleased with his progress? Yeah, we, um, we're, we're in good shape from a driver standpoint. So if I look at the things that we need to get back to the front, you need two great drivers. I think we have those. You need your technology infrastructure being state-of-the-art and on par with the competition. We'll have that done by the end of the year. You know, we've talked a lot about the wind tunnel and simulator and manufacturing unit. These things are all very close to being done. Some of them are are done. So we'll have the technology. Then it's, it's people. And uh, we have some exciting uh, announcements coming up soon. We have... Uh, a great team, but we, you know, need some additional uh, thinking and some fresh ideas. And, you know, some of those announcements we've made, more to come. Those people will all be kind of joining us over the next nine months. So, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have our team in place. We'll have our infrastructure in place. We'll have our drivers in place. But we're already working on a 24 car now. So we won't be at our full uh, fighting capacity, if you'd like, for the for the start of the 24 development because that's happening now. So I think our goal next year is to get back to a 2021 type season, handful of podiums, a bowl of win, you know, mixing it up. And then 25, we will have had uh, everything that we need and for the sufficient time. So I'd like to think we're going to be winning races in 25 and then once we're winning races, we got the new era starting in 26. You know, on paper, there's no reason why we shouldn't be fighting for the for the championship. And has Lando completely bought into that timescale? He has. You know, uh, you know, we're very uh, transparent with our drivers. They know exactly what's going on. Of course, this year uh, has been a frustration for for all of us from from the start. But you know, it's very rare that you just go straight to the front. That you know, you're going to have some uh, bumps and and lefts and rights along the way, which is what. Uh, we've experienced the start of the year, but I think we'll recover quickly. We're a different team than we were when we started this this journey. So, yeah, you know, we're all frustrated. We're not doing uh, better, but we also know what's coming, and we're also in it for the long haul. And we also know that, you know, sport has ups and downs. So, so he and Oscar are doing just fine. Exciting times ahead. Look, just one more thing, if I can, Zach. Um, you issued your sustainability report last week. Um, now, in terms of your environmental credentials, and I'm talking about you, McLaren, what are you most proud of? Um, I think th there's a few things. Uh, one, that we were the first team to get the FIA recognized, the, the three-star award back in 2013. That was pre-my my time, uh, but good on 
good on McLaren and and, and Ron Dennis and everyone who um, you know developed a facility that was very carbon friendly. Um, we pr- were the first Formula One team to produce a sustainability report last year. But most importantly, it's not about being first. It was about uh, how developed we are and understanding where we've come from, where we are today, and where we're going. And I think the part that I'm most excited about is how much participation we're getting from all the McLaren employees that, you know, this is something that, you know, the whole organization is is behind and the, we have very high levels of engagement. So that's what I'm probably most proud of is how many people within McLaren are coming along and participating in the journey. And can you just explain to our listeners how how, how the cost cap is affecting your ability to do more from a sustainability point of view? Yeah, so there's some areas like, you know, our, our main shot is we'd love to see a full circular race car. That means we need to do a lot of research into the race car. Technically, that would fall under the cost cap, designing suspension, materials, things of that nature. So if if we opened up and went, yeah, you can spend another X millions exploring, unless it's really defined as sustainability, what some teams would understandably do is go, wait a minute, loophole, we're going to invest all in making our race car faster tomorrow. Um, if And if we don't open it up, then teams will go, well, why am I going to spend money on something that I might not see the benefit for years? So that's just one example of, you know, ring fencing what is investment for the future around sustainability versus performance today. And I think when we negotiated uh, this latest Concord agreement, you know, you don't know what you don't know down the road. You know, So we negotiated without kind of thinking about that in mind. So we just need to to, to fix that moving forward so we can all invest in sustainability without compromising the day-to-day performance of the racing team. And is there an appetite to fix that in the corridors of power? I think there is. Yeah, no, there, there definitely is. But uh, all things in, in Formula One, the devil's in the details, and then making sure you don't create uh, you know, in, any loopholes or, as we like to say, unintended consequences. But no, I think Formula One, the FIA, and the teams... We're all very passionate about sustainability. We all know we can do better. We all want to do better, but you know we need the regulators to help us from ourselves. Zach, it's been brilliant to chat. Thank you very much. Good luck at Indy. Good luck at Monaco. Busy weekend. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Good to chat. I don't think there's a team boss in the pit lane that loves racing as much as Zach Brown. I mean, no, I totally agree. <laughs> Listen to his enthusiasm when he's talking about Indy and Monaco. What is it? I think they've qualified, what is it, four cars in the top nine for the Indy 500. I mean, so that's going great, Guns. You've only got to cast your mind back to 2019 when Fernando Alonso failed to qualify for the Indy 500 for McLaren. And, and I was there that weekend and I've never seen Zach as angry as he was that weekend. Just the whole thing unraveled for lots of different reasons but it's it's been an incredible turnaround over there they've obviously got formula e and extreme e and formula one it's an incredible array of racing programs they've got going now and all a projection of his passion you're right he said from the off when he first came into formula one that he was basically a massive fanboy and uh, he was living out his dream which is great i just hope they can turn their season around because it feels like a long time coming now doesn't it and 
Formula One is the core business. And I feel that the whole, all of the programs suffer if Formula One is not getting the job done. They've got to be succeeding in Formula One to be almost, almost to be able to get away with all of the other stuff they're doing. Because although he will quite rightly say, no, nothing impacts another program, I think there will be people thinking, focus on Formula One and sort that out. Forget all the indie stuff. So they just need to get it sorted. It all seems to be pointing in the right direction, but it's very inconsistent. You know, Baku was a, a step forward. Miami was a step back. Andrea Stella, the team principal, who back in the day was a, a brilliant engineer, both at McLaren and Ferrari, uh, has spoken recently about how difficult it is to set up these cars. And you sense that it's going to yo-yo a bit before it settles down. And I still maintain that Adrian Newey spending more time focused on the suspension of this year's Red Bull is such a hugely significant bit of intel. That's where the performance is. It's all about maintaining a smooth ride height as low as possible with these cars. And they've nailed it. And no one else has. And that is the difference in performance between the cars. Well, that's interesting because it therefore feels as if all the other projects are something of a distraction. Even if in in an actual literal sense, they're not. Just the fact that they are running so many things. You know, you, you can't be all things to all men or women. You have to focus the hearts and minds of your workforce on one project alone. And you, as you say, you get Formula One right, the rest could follow. But at the moment, they're not doing that bit as well as they could and should be. And it must be hugely frustrating because they've got the talent. They've got the wherewithal. They've got the resource. It's just not quite clicking yet. They've got the drivers, you have to say. You can throw that accusation at nine Formula One teams, really, can't you, at the minute? Yes, it's more extreme. The problems at McLaren are a little bit more extreme, but actually... Everyone apart from Red Bull is underperforming at the minute. Well, I wouldn't say Aston Martin are. They're closer. They're doing a better job. But you can see in the Red Bull what the ultimate performance in these regulations is. And no one else is is. I agree. But to to come as far and as quickly as Aston Martin have, they are doing a phenomenal job. And I think it's a matter of time. Their trajectory is magnificent right now. And as long as they can keep that up, and yeah, there will be, therefore, a match for Red Bull hopefully quite soon yep hopefully before the end of the season hopefully in the sense as a, as a, yeah you know from an unbiased point of view i say that just because i want better competition not because i support aston martin or red bull i just i just like competition and i think i speak for all the neutrals when i say that we just want to see a fight at the top don't we Well, Pinks, this is probably a really good time to get into Ask the Nation. Of course, this is your opportunity to ask us, the gang, Natalie, me, Damon, Pedro. Any questions you have on Formula One, as ever, please send them in, preferably via audio, a voice message at f1nation at f1.com. But we've actually had a couple of emails sent in this week. And I'm going to read out one from Shea Gibson, who asks, I've been wondering what Lando's future is looking like. Do you think he'll move teams? If so, which team? Do you think he'll ever win a world championship? I would love to hear you guys talk about this or just share your thoughts with me. Thanks. Well, Shaya, thanks for the message. I mean, Pinks, is he going to move from McLaren? See, I think Lando set out his stool very early on that he's committed, loyal to McLaren. And many doubted why he signed that long-term deal as early in his career as he did, because there's no doubt that he's a sought-after driver. He's he's brilliantly talented. He's young. He's committed. Yes, 
Shaya, I do think that he can win a world championship, but I don't know where he goes to do that. And I actually, I think there is something to be said, I've said it many times before, on sticking with the team, growing with the team. And Formula One is cyclical. And actually, I think McLaren will come good. We've touched on it. They've got the resource. They've got the talent. They've got the commitment. They will come good. And it will hopefully, for Lando's sake, be sooner rather than later. But he will start to win races. I mean, he came very close twice didn't he, to winning a race last year. And it hasn't happened from him yet, unbelievably. I mean, Russia, it gives me, oh, it just uh, gives me shivers just thinking about Russia. You know, when that little specks of rain fell and he was on the wrong tyre and the wind just slipped away from him. So, yes, Lando has got it all, but he just doesn't have the car quite yet to prove it. But that will come. Just a matter of time. His contract is until the end of 2025. I think he needs to see... Some serious progress from McLaren now, actually. I I get your point. Loyalty. And McLaren does have everything it needs. It's got a good budget. uh, It's got a new wind tunnel coming on stream. It's got good engineers. But you need to start seeing progress. David Sanchez, who's coming to take over the design of the car, doesn't start until January 2024. So we're only going to see the fruits of his labours in 2025, realistically. Lando's last year at the team. The other question is, okay, let's say he loses patience and he thinks I've got to go elsewhere to win races and win the world championship. Where does he go? Well, that was my point. I mean, what are his options? Red Bull? No. Ferrari? Can't see it happening. Mercedes? Potentially after Lewis retires, but we don't know when that will be. I mean, ultimately, he has said he wants to stay there until he wins an eighth world title. I don't know what his options are that would potentially be better than where he is right now Mm. and that's the problem he has I mean there is one team we haven't mentioned that I think could potentially be attractive to him and that is Audi so in 2026 the year after his contract Andreas Seidel who is the boss there now is a huge Lando Norris fan Audi is going to have all the resource that it needs to win in Formula One but again are they going to be ready on day one Highly unlikely. So if Lando goes there in 2026, is it going to be at least another three years before he's in a position to win? In which case, he's better off staying where he is. So it's a really tricky situation. Yeah, and I'm I'm also reminded of George Russell's situation. I mean, remember how patient he was to stay at Williams for as long as he did, and he could see his his buddies winning races and thriving in the bigger teams, and. He eventually got the opportunity to go to Mercedes and ultimately he's still not, I mean, he's won a race, but he's not winning races as regularly as he thought he would be. That may change with these updates coming, but Formula One, there's a lot of luck involved with where you go to and and at what point in your career. Just ask Fernando Alonso. I mean, he's living, breathing proof of that, isn't he? So I think Lando does need to be patient and just, yeah, hold his nerve stay with McLaren, grow with McLaren and eventually win races with McLaren. Our next question, Thomas, is Alex from Leeds. He's emailed to ask, watching both Red Bulls blast past other cars with so much more speed with DRS open, has any team figured out what Red Bull are doing with the DRS to get such extra speed yet? I mean, the short answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I was going to say. Otherwise, they would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. 
but there'll be an awful lot of analysis. You know, all, all of the teams have spy photographers and I'm sure for a lot of this season, they've been asking their photographers to, to focus in on that rear wing and see what it's doing. Get all the shapes. Look at the right height of the car as well. There's nothing in isolation in Formula One. Yes, okay, the DRS open, when it opens, they get a huge amount of speed. What is it? It's up to 15Ks faster, isn't it? But it's all linked to what the aero is doing under the car, what the wash is doing around the rear tyres, etc, etc. So it's one of the, the great mysteries of Formula One 2023. And as soon as someone can come up with the similar solution to Red Bull, then we've got this battle that we all want at the front it, that is the main difference I think between Red Bull and the likes of Aston Martin for example I would actually put it down to two words being the main difference between Red Bull and the rest of the paddock Adrian Newey I mean the guy's a genius the guy is a genius but the team will tell you oh you know it's Pierre Vacher who's the technical director there's a whole stack of people back in Milton Keynes who are pulling the whole thing together and you know Adrian's methodology I've been told is fantastic and he sets the tone but then everybody else is contributing to the performance so I think yes Adrian's a genius but I think we have to give a little nod to everyone else at Milton Keynes as well well that's very diplomatic of you but I just like to think it's all down to one man <laughs> a massive brain and a sketch pad who has been in Formula One since 1980 and he's lost none of his love for it none of his competitive spirit it's extraordinary. It is quite extraordinary. And actually, Pink's this week's Beyond the Grid is with Sam Michael, former technical director at Williams. Oh, is it? I haven't seen or spoken to Sam for years. What a lovely man. How is he? Have you done it then? Have you done the interview? Yes. Yeah. I, I went up to Sydney after the Melbourne Grand Prix to his office in downtown Sydney, and he was in brilliant form. It was lovely to see him. And... One of the questions I ask is, so you were technical director at Williams, you then go to McLaren, and then in 2014, you literally overnight leave Formula One. And, and what was that all about? And he says, family reasons primarily. And one of his daughters said, Dad, how much longer are you going to keep doing this? And he said, well, I can stop now if you want. And he did. And they all moved back to Australia. But he also said how extraordinary it is that someone like Adrian Newey can keep at the forefront of Formula One for as long as he has. Patrick Head, the same. He says it's incredibly unusual to have that desire to keep fighting because he said Formula One is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. It takes a lot out of you. And to keep going like Adrian has all these years is extraordinary. Well, thank you so much for those emails. Do keep your questions about the 23 season coming in. Uh, write or record them as voice notes. We like the voice notes, don't we, TC? Yeah, give us a voice note and send them to f1nation at f1.com. That's f1nation at f1.com. Shall we predict our uh, podium? Okay, I'm going to go first, otherwise you're going to nick my prediction. Okay, well, um, we're thinking the same thing then, aren't we? I'm saying Charles for the win. I'm saying Fernando P2. I'm saying Max P3. That would be an amazing podium, Nats. Uh, but what's the... Well, there's no but. I agree with you. I think the Ferrari is going to be fast enough for Schalter to take pole if it's dry. And I think the wet weather coming on Saturday could lend itself to a man with oodles of experience who doesn't need to warm up, who can nail that first lap. 
has won Monaco twice before, is going to be driving a car that is as fast as the Red Bull through the slow corners. It's British racing green. I'm going to nail my colours to Fernando Alonso for the win. I think Charles Leclerc is going to join him on the front row and he's going to sneak in behind, get that podium at home. And then I think we're going to see a Red Bull. I think Max Verstappen will just do enough. He's going to look at the big picture of the season. It's going to be an undramatic drive to P3 for Max. There you go. Beautifully put. Before we go, let's check in with our F1 fantasy team, F1 Nation Racing. We're going to make some changes to the team we were going to race at Imola last weekend. We already had Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso, and we're going to change George Russell for Charles Leclerc, who he thinks is going to really fly in his home Grand Prix. After McLaren's struggles continued in Miami, we replaced Oscar Piastri with Kevin Magnussen, and although he just missed out on a point in the States, he drove really well, so we kept the faith in Yuki Tsunoda. And remember, you have until the start of qualifying on Saturday to make changes to your team, and you can join our league at any time to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And if you're not playing yet, it's not too late to join, and it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up, then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for your company, Tom. Now, don't forget the latest episode of Formula Y is out now. It answers all your questions about F1. And as we mentioned, this week's Beyond the Grid, Tom has been speaking to the former Williams engineer and McLaren sporting director, the lovely Sam Michael. And that is available from Wednesday. Just search for Formula Y and Beyond the Grid in your podcast app. So that's all from us. We'll be back with F1 Nation next Monday with our Monaco Grand Prix review. Thanks for listening. F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios.